you are working your way out of debt and need some inspiration thrown your way, this episode is for you. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola, ¿qué tal? This is Jen Hempel, your host. There are many people dealing with debt. That may be you. And sometimes we need inspiration as we are working our way out of it. Because if it's a big piece of debt and it takes us a while to get out of, we are definitely needing some support and inspiration along the way. So we don't give up, right? This is why I invited this special guest, Marcus Garrett, who you will also find has a great sense of humor and another reason why we get along so well. So let me share with you a little bit about Marcus. After surviving the mean streets of the inner suburbs in the great state of Texas, Mr. Garrett went on to obtain a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration and 10 plus years of work experience as a certified internal auditor, financial, and data analyst. He is an award-winning writer and the best-selling author of Debt Free or Die Trying, How I Buried Myself $30,000 in Debt and Dug My Way Out. He is also the host of the podcast, The Marcus Garrett Show. In today's episode, you will hear how he found himself going from $9,000 in debt to $24,000 in debt in just under 24 hours. The hard lessons he learned as a young adult, as well as three tips that has helped him and his girlfriend manage money together easier. Lista? Enjoy this previously recorded conversation with Marcus. Bienvenido, Marcus, to the Her Dinero Manners podcast. I have known you for a bit, and I'm just thrilled to have you here. You've had the open invitation for a while, and you finally took it. I appreciate it, and thank you for having me on. And for those of you listening, you might be mistaken his voice for... <laughs> I know it's a syndicated thing, and I don't know if you know the exact name, Marcus. It's like a weekend show where they just play just the romantic songs. And I sometimes I'm convinced maybe you're behind that voice. You know, I wish I was because I've actually been trying to informally break into the industry for years. Uh, <laughs> people have told me this and I'm like, is, 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 know, there, is there a way I can collect a paycheck? This would be a great side hustle. <laughs> so I do do voiceovers. I'm trying to plug myself. So if somebody somewhere is finally listening, I want them to reach out to me. So hopefully by the end of this show, I can get booked for those weekend gigs. I'm, I'm very open to it. I think you would be really good because I'm telling you, I don't know what the name of it is. The soft sounds of the week. I don't know. Some some name. I don't remember. But I just, I'm like, wait, that could be Marcus. <laughs> I, I hope soon is the soft and sultry sounds of the Marcus Garrett. But yeah, we'll see. Reach out to awesome. me. Reach out to me. DMs are open. 
Well, on a side note, I wanted to share that because I'm sure listeners might be saying, wait a minute, that voice sounds familiar. (laughs) Just in case you get confused like me. But Marcus, let's get started by going back in time. Take us back to when you were younger, when you were a little boy, or some time in your life that you remember something you saw, something you heard, something you just really experienced that really impacted how you view and perceive money. There were um, two stories that immediately come to mind. I've told one before, so I try to you know keep these these interviews fresh. The one that a lot of folks have heard that have followed me around was I was obsessed with the smoke control car, and my parents would refused to pay for it. Cause like, it was like $200, which of course at that time I thought was pocket change, but they were like, nah. And I like harassed them all through Christmas and they're like, all right, we'll pay for half. And I put a budget together. And, and so that was a memory that sticks out for me. But another one actually came and might resonate with more people. I had an argument with my mom and it sticks out to me because I think it was the last purposeful argument. We've had more it's like on that day, I was like, I will never argue with this woman again because she was wrong in every degree. And I was filling out the FAFSA to apply for college. And like most parents, they're like, what are you doing? And they, they thought I was about here being irresponsible, had no plans for the future, even though they had harassed me for the previous 18 years about what I was going to do. And I actually did plan on going to college. I was just doing it behind the scenes on this thing called the Internet because it was the 90s. So the Internet was like this foreign force that just existed out there. They didn't really trust it. And they thought it was a fad. And I'm like, I'm, I'm filling out FAFSA forms on the internet. And I kept asking them for information about their income, which of course was, you know, very hands-off and evasive. Our son is plotting a mutiny around here or something like that. I don't know what they thought I was doing between the internet and asking them about their money and finances. And that was the first time I learned how much money my parents made. I had, for whatever reason, well, I'd been brainwashed. I thought my parents were poor. And I remember my dad told me a story once. He's like, you know, son, one year I got an apple for Christmas. And I'm like, okay. He goes, you know what I told my father? Is this all for me? And so like I've been brainwashed into thinking that like we were poor and scrapping, even though we lived in the suburbs. But, you know, as a child, you don't recognize what middle class, I mean, we weren't rich, but we're like what middle class trappings are. That's all you've known. Anyway, so I got accepted. Temporarily, I got accepted to the University of Texas at Austin. I did not graduate from there, but that's another story. And I remember my mom was arguing about something about the cost because I I got a scholarship that would pay for a public school or whatever. And I was like, it's all taken care of. It's all filled out. Got all the forms and we met everything like that. And she was like arguing with me. And finally, I printed out the Internet, this thing she did not trust. I printed out like all the facts and forms. And rather than apologize, she was just like, Oh, she harassed me about this for like a semester. This wasn't like a weekend, you know, like that. And so those are the two, the ones that come to mind and uh, money events. My mom's probably forgotten about this. Now, she likes to listen to my podcast and then tell me all the lies that I told on the podcast. I was going to ask, <laughs> mom, are you there? Can you corroborate? Is that the word? This story? <laughs> yeah, I won't be sending her this one. Fortunately, she can't just find it on my website anymore. But uh, I think that this would pass in a court of law beyond reasonable doubt that this is a true and factual story, although there is would a lot you of like to say. send me her email. I'd be happy to share. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> That's so funny. So the story of the car, how old were you then? I seem to recall that I either got a job around that time because I was able to generate money. My first job was at a movie theater making five fifteen an hour. 
And I like to point that out to folks because, and you probably had this happen as well, like especially doing interviews. People like to focus on when you cross the finish line. So right now I'm working on a building a six-figure brand and building a course around that or whatever. And we've done this before on my podcast as well. People are like, man, you made six figures in one year. And I'm like, no, it took me 15 years to figure out how to make six figures in one year. I didn't make six figures in one year. And so that's why I like to tell folks like where it came from. So I believe I was, I must have been around 15 or 16. And it, I mean, another thing, I did an interview for uh, like, they were middle school children. They were actually very impressive. I thought they were going to boo me off screen, but these were very impressive middle, middle school children. You know, we're all doing these webinars now. And I told them that the toys change, but they just get bigger. So I have a Dodge Charger now. <laughs> and I think back to that like 15, 16 year old remote control car. Like it was souped up. Don't get me wrong. It was a $200 remote control car. It might have been $250. And so I've just always had this fascination with the toys. But I was trying to tell them like the toys that you want at middle school just get bigger and more expensive. <laughs> they don't go away. Right, right. So you were 15 years of age. And then once you got to college, you were filling out the FAFSA. And you said this was in the 90s. And I'm thinking back when I got to college. I don't think that even, I mean, I don't recall knowing about that, but I didn't have a choice in my situation. I'm grateful in terms of my parents were like, well, we don't have the money. So again, I'm not convinced how much money they did or they did not have. They just like you, because during college, I went to actually the school that my mom taught at because tuition was significantly reduced. I mean, I had no choice and then they didn't want me to really work when I was in high school, which I worked like the summers. So I was not independent. I felt stuck. I was in that oh, okay. uh, cycle of feeling stuck because I had no money. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating you say that. My parents raised me even to this day, either to my detriment or my benefit. I, you know, I honestly don't know. To be independent. They literally raised me. They're like, if, do you got McDonald's money? And I was like, in the backseat, like, I can't wait till I have McDonald's money. And so <laughs> I got a job at 16. It's like I was legally able to get a job. I think I did some like side jobs that I wasn't legally able to do because I was just like, okay. The counter to that was they taught me that money was independence. So they're like, well, if you want our money, you know, sing and dance. And I was like, I can't wait till I can sing and dance independently. And I went out, got a job at 16, moved out at 18, moved back for like six months and then fell out again because I lost my independence. I was like, hell no, I can't do this. I can't go backwards in time. It's like going back to prison. And so it's interesting that they raised me to be a, a financial rebel. Like they were raising me to be what is now financially independent, retire early. Although I practice financially independent, remain employed because I like steady income. Mm -hmm. But they set me up for this lifestyle, whether they realize it or not. Interesting. Yeah. With my family, they felt like my job was the school. So I, once I turned 16 and I could get a job, I could, but I couldn't do it during the school year because I had to focus on those grades per them. Right. When I got to college, it was like, well, I don't have money <laughs> to be able to have that choice. So that was interesting. Now let's go fast forward a little bit. So thanks for sharing that. And you wrote a book that was all about your journey in getting out of debt. So talk to us about that journey, how you got yourself into debt and how you got yourself out of it. So take us through that. 
Well, the book is called Debt Free or Die Trying. And to understand, it's a story of how I got myself $30,000 in debt, then dug my way out. But in order to understand how I managed to do that, because it was actually a big weekend that was 90% of the debt, you kind of got to understand how uh, you got to take a flashback. You got to look at the history. The history is not a predictor of the future, but it is a leading indicator. And I remember from that job at the movie theater, then I went over to IHOP. So, you know, so I was a waiter and I saved up about $2,000 or something to that effect, maybe about 3000 uh, I helped my parents do a down payment on now what was my, uh, I think it was my second car. I, I wrecked like four cars in a row. I lose track of which one it was, but I helped pay for it. And once again, I think I was... We didn't talk about money in the home. This is something that me and my mom argue about as well. From her perspective, we did. They did help me set up a savings account at 16. They did a lot of things that were positive as far as money management goes, but we never talked about the why. And so mm-hmm. I just thought making money was easy. And, you know, I'm 16 with $2,000. Yeah, I didn't see $2,000 in my savings account again until like I was in my 20s because I was like, you money's easy. But I had like two bills. I had a cell phone bill and like, so it was easy to save up money. And I tell that part because I spent all that on prom. I got a sports again. Actually, now that I'm walking through this, I'm seeing a theme here. (laughs) (laughs) I might need to talk to my therapist about this. You're funny. (laughs) So I got a Miata for, uh, you know, everybody else got a limousine. I'm like, nah, I'm gonna pull up in a Miata. So I I got a Miata. Again, this is the 2000. So, you know, Miata is a hot little sports car at that time. I had the drop top Miata pulled up with my prom date. I'm like Tokyo drifting into the parking lot. I'm like, what's up? Limousine drivers, ah, chumps, you know. (laughs) I can see you. I got a hotel block for me and my friends because uh, I was the only one that could have had a credit card. So this was before Cash App and everything. So everyone paid me. I put that in and I was like the only 18 year old with a credit card, which is terrifying. <laughs> and so I got a block of room. And anyway, I spent like whatever, close to 2000, like all of it on prom because in my head, I'm like, this is, this is pocket change, like money come, money go. You know, I'll make it right back. That was not the case. Anyway, I have to tell that story so you can understand the habits of who I am as an individual. Then I went off to college. Like most, I think it feels like 90% of millennials have this story where like, you know, I was innocently walking through the yard and the birds were chirping. And then a credit card guy stopped me. It was like, hey, giggity, giggity, you want a credit card? And, you know, so I got three. I got three credit cards. I was like, I just signing contracts left and right. But amazingly, despite all the things that I've talked about here, I ran up like $9,000 in debt because my school was predominantly paid for. Like I said, I had a scholarship. So really all I could be irresponsible about was like liquor and food and apparently buying blocks of hotels. Uh, Like just like there wasn't really big things I could buy money with. So I graduate with about $9,000 in debt. And then I got an offer for a consolidation loan. Now I'm 22. The most money I've ever made in my entire life is $9 an hour. I think I made less than $18,000 that year. And I get this offer in the mail, like, hey, we're going to send you a consolidation loan. I didn't know what the hell the consolidation loan was. And they're like, one low monthly payment. And I'm like, oh, of course, that makes sense. So I think it must have been around 10000 maybe fifteen. And in my head, which is actually terrifying, like that you can sign so many contracts that's so young and so ignorant, I was like, they'll pay off all my cards for me and, and send me the check because, you know, that would make sense. And they deposited $10,000 into a 22-year-old's account who has bought Miata's two sports cars, wrecked four cars, <laughs> never held down a job. And I was like, hmm, ball out season. And so I like, I went on this epic spending spree 
had a girlfriend to to help and enable me. So we like tore down all the clubs in this small town of like 25,000. They probably still talk about this story. Like, I wonder whatever happened to that young couple. <laughs> it's like spending all of this money. It's actually notoriously difficult to spend $10,000 in one weekend. Anyway, I found out when you don't go to Vegas. But before it was all said, I bought a, a car with rims, put a $2,000 deposit on it and Roughly in a 72-hour period, my debt went from 9000 to 26000 And then I bought a $3,000. I've told this story a hundred times. And the one thing that people are like, you liar, is I bought a $3,000 flat screen TV because it had just came out. It was, was much fatter and it didn't even have the quality and detail. I have a flat screen now. It was like $300. It didn't even have the quality and detail of this $300 TV, but it was $3,000. Yeah. And I, again, I will go to a court of law and <laughs> and debate that beyond reasonable doubt. So that is the story of how I got $30,000 in debt. And then the book, it took me seven years in total to get out of debt. It's about by age 30, but it really took me three years of focused intent once I finally put a plan together. And that's what and I talk about. The book. That's what I wanted to ask you about, because once you got yourself into this debt, was it immediately, oh, I'm going to get back to work or get to work on paying the debt? Or did it happen right away? Or was it a little later? Well, it's two parts. I made this false promise to myself when I graduated college. I was like, I think I chose five years. It just seemed like a round number. I was like, I'm gonna get out of debt in five years. Because at that time, in my head, I thought college meant wealth. Like I went to college to make money so I'm thinking I'm gonna get out and make six figures, you know, six figures minus 30,000, you know, there's pocket change. I got 70,000 left over to ball out with. It went a little bit off script from there. My first job, and it took me six months to get this job, paid 19,600. And it sticks out to me because it was like, I went to college for this. Like I made 18,000 a year before. And so I just remember how I guess, devastating it was. And I was like, well, this kind of derails my out of debt in five year plan. So I started paying on that consolidation loan. I I actually did pay off one credit card, one of the three. And so I had two credit cards left. And I kind of guess went through this. I'm 22 or three. So you're kind of in that battle between youthful optimism, ignorance is bliss and existential crises, because it's like, why am I not rich yet? And going on this journey and chase because you think the simple answer is, well, I need more money, not I need to rein in my spending habits and and form a budget and and be more responsible and really get my life together. You know, I didn't have that wherewithal at the time. And so I'll flash forward a little bit because obviously it's a very long story. It was about 27 before I hit what I call rock bottom is actually four years later, one girlfriend less. So, Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. <laughs> the girlfriend that helped me spend all the money was now in New York and gone. And yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas, once again, and $30,000 in debt now, working three jobs just to make ends meet. And I missed a credit card payment this one time, actually by accident. To this day, I promise I didn't get the bill. And the next bill cycle, my APR had jumped to 29% interest. And I could not even service the minimal amount of debt. So I had spent four years of denial up until that point, paying the minimum payment. And two things happened. I was like, okay, well, I'll just call them up. 
this is actually one of my original credit cards. I, I was like, I've been with these guys. Me, we're cool. I've known them for 10 years. And so I'll just call them up, known them since college, and we'll get this figured out. And they were like, well, figure it out by giving us our money. And in an emotional state, I closed that credit card, which, of course, was really dumb. And, you know, everything went wrong from there. It made a bunch of dumb and youthful decisions, which then dinged my my credit score, which then made it harder for me to get more credit, which I still needed because now I had to pay off this loan. And it just became this quick spiral and realization, this aha moment, this rock bottom aha moment. The moment of clarity, as Samuel L. Jackson uh, said in a famous movie, which I'll leave blank and hopefully folks can guess, <laughs> where it was like, I'm facing bankruptcy. I'm working three jobs. There's only 24 hours in a day, and I can't pay the minimum amount on these credit cards. And so I was able to fortunately get another loan to, you know, it's weird to get saved by more credit to pay off credit. But in this particular instance, it did work for me. But that night and our weekend, four years now, from the previous weekend that put me in this position, I was like, I'll never be here again. I never want to be in a place like this again. And I didn't know it then, but I was living the story that would become debt free or die trying. Before we continue, I have a brief message to share. Her Dinero Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank has made it their mission to understand their clients' needs and provide them an unparalleled level of service. With a relationship-based approach to banking, First Republic provides tailored solutions to individuals and businesses with their financial needs. At any stage of life, whether it's opening a savings account, buying your first home, or starting a family, First Republic's commitment to personal service is designed to change the way you feel about banking. See how putting clients first always comes first at First Republic Bank. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. I love that you share that because one, when I look at our time paying off debt and student loans and other things, I always, at first, I'm like, oh my gosh, it took us 15 years to do this, the student loans and the cars and and all that. And then when I really take a look at it, because I think people look at when they took out the debt to when they pay it off and they get all down on that. But when I really look at when we really got to work, it only took us like two to three years, something like that. Right. So I'm glad that you share that because sometimes we have to go through our own struggle or sometimes maybe there might be a different priority in our life, right? That takes over that paying off debt. Sometimes that's what it is. So I love that you share that because sometimes we get so into, oh, it took us way too long, especially when we see all these stories. I paid off $100,000 in two days. Okay, I'm exaggerating. (laughs) But when we see those stories, we think, okay, we're a failure, but we're not. I always say that we are creating our debt freedom journey and whatever that is, is yours, right? It's don't compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. I say for me, the best plan is the plan that works because that's another thing I think people get 
paralyzed by, okay, which of all these debt systems that I could use, which one should I apply? And I have a two-part response to that. Number one is the best way to get out of debt is to never get into debt. That is That should actually be the takeaway from my story. And that's what I try to teach folks younger than me or when I go back and speak at middle school, high school. I'm like, don't get into it in the first place. Then you don't have to go around the country talking about getting out of debt. <laughs> so that's step number one. But the other part of it is actually, I think, is just to get started. So I did not know it at that time at 27. I just started doing anything. And they're actually still around. I went to bankrate.com. I still recommend them as a great source. Bankrate.com slash calculators with an S has every debt management calculator you could think of. Like It it is an impressive list. And they have it broken down by mortgage, broken down by credit cards. But I actually use them. And it actually literally spit out, this is how old I am, a PDF that I printed. And it said, this is how much you need to service your debt every month if you want to be out of debt. At, in the future, I want to be out of debt at by age 30. But to your point, it yeah, it took about three years. So what I break that down in the book is debt is actually an acronym. It's a four-step process. So define the problem, establish a plan. So for me, that was bankrate.com slash calculators. Build a budget around that. I think a lot of people feel like a budget is a punishment, but that's because they don't know why they're doing it. So that's mm-hmm. why I say budget third, define your first establish the plan, then build a budget to ensure your success. And then as a part of their extension of that is to trust the process, which is kind of what I teach people now. I've been an auditor for 15 years. I teach people building automated systems so it doesn't feel like a punishment. It'll take care of itself. So those last three years, I actually remember the day I paid off my debt, the month technically, I actually didn't know. My girlfriend told me, she's like, hey, this thing you've been fighting for the last three years, aren't you like done? Isn't like your schedule through? Because I had been automating payments for so long. It was just a natural occurrence to me. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's just like you would think after all these, you know, rock bottom and tears and knees and, you know, praying to the heavens and why have you forsaken me? (laughs) It's like, you know, it would be more extraordinary. But just like you have established your spending habits, you can establish your responsible habits as well. And I they promise you they'll be just as natural, almost to the point where you forget them. It just seems so extreme and foreign right now because you're not on that plan yet. So it, I understand it seems hopeless. I've been that paycheck to paycheck and obviously through three jobs. And when you don't know your why and maybe even your how, so why are you doing it? And how are you going to accomplish it? It seems overwhelming. And that's kind of what the place of peace I try to bring people to. I love that. Now, another thing that I wanted to ask you is you mentioned girlfriend. And I know on this podcast, we have talked to couples, married couples about managing their money. And whether do you have joint accounts, separate accounts, all that good stuff. How do you and your girlfriend manage your money? Are there certain things, have you had conversations or maybe just completely manage the money completely separate? How, do, how is it for you all? Well, in order to answer that, I'd have to say uh, this has actually been my most financially different relationship. And I say that because my girlfriend, she makes more than me and she is comfortable managing money. So most of the time they're like, oh, you wrote a book. You're an auditor. You got it. Figure it out. <laughs> and so like it's, yeah, I, I either figure it out and I set up all the accounts or we should do this. And for this purpose, or here's the credit card and things like that. 
But I think what's more important, and honestly, this was a lesson learned for me, the pandemic kind of, I think I call it an accelerated maturation, something my mentor told me, is like you get into these events where you have to mature because there is no other option. And so we were trying to figure out our finances because like the world was at that time crashing. Well, we thought it was ending. <laughs> and, so, and so it was like, ah, you know, but what I tell people is probably more important is to have the conversation, ideally not under those circumstances. So we were trying to figure out our finances because we're like, OK, are, is, is the stock market going to crash? Is the, you know, are they going to be a run on the bank? This was March. We were actually in Bali when they started the shutdown. There was a point where we we were starting to think like we're, we're going to have to learn the Balinese culture and like we might have to live here for the next six months. There was a point where we weren't sure we were going to get back in the United States. And that is not the place that I would encourage y'all to have a discussion for the first time. Like, hmm, should we have joint accounts? It's like, it's like are we going to die? <laughs> That's not the time. So actually, as things start to get back to a calm place, I wrote a post recently about three tips to get better with money as a couple. And I have three questions that I recommend couples answer. And it's for both. Are you a natural spender or a natural saver? What is your household spending limit? And what are your household's basic financial goals? And if neither party is comfortable working through those questions, then I gave a number of free resources where you can get a, a fee-only CFP. There's actually a number of free resources, you know, podcasts just like this. But I, I think what happens is most people just never have the conversation until you have the conversation when an, an event has taken place that forces mm -hmm. the conversation. And I would encourage people to do it actually in times of peace to plan for the event so that the event is more of an inconvenience than an emergency. So you don't want to be talking about the emergency fund, whether it exists or non-existent, during the emergency. You want to have the emergency fund and be like, hey, an emergency has happened. Do we use the emergency fund or savings or credit card? Like that's a much easier discussion. Like emergency here, we have no money to cover it. Mm. To answer your question, right now we separately manage our, actually technically everything. But we came to that place because I kind of fell into my comfort role. I was like, hey, uh, I put a Google document together. I was like, here's the financial plan. You know, me, the man of the house, I got this, you know, here's how we're going to roll the accounts. And, you know, you should put this here and you can go to uh, another source that I like is investor.gov. Uh, it's a free resource. It has a savings calculator and an investment calculator. I'm like looking at 7% returns over 25 years in this financially independent plan I'm on. And somewhere in there, she glossed over, by the way. I think she fell asleep. I'm still talking to you. I think she was <laughs> you know, taking a nap by the time I was done. And when she woke up, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, shocked and appalled. But she already had a plan and she had been working her plan for 10 to 15 years and it worked for her. It's much more conservative. She uses a, a lot more money accounts and liquid accounts, but she's, like I said, she makes good money. So she's like, I'm more comfortable not being invested in the stock market in these ways for these reasons. And what I realized is, one, I made a number of assumptions, but we had actually never had the conversation. And so I came with a script for a story I did not understand mm -hmm. based on a movie that she was not a part of. She's like... Mm -hmm. I've already got my script written and here it is. And so I think for couples, new or old, we're, we're at four years. I think the first step is the first step. And that's kind of why I laid out those three questions. They're, they're a good guidepost for, hey, 
are you more comfortable spending $26,000 in one weekend or <laughs> putting money in your 401k? You know, like, you know, what's your personality, introvert, extrovert, spender, saver? And then from there, you can start to say, okay, do we need a spending limit? Do we need joint accounts? So we don't really have joint accounts. It's more so like during the pandemic, like all these boxes were showing up. I don't even think I had an Amazon account at the time. I'm like, yeah, can we afford all this? You know, like, what's going on? And she's like, you know, strong, independent woman, you know, Beyonce, women run the world. And I was like, hey, 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 it's not about that. I just want to make sure that like we can afford this. So then, you know, rather than fight about every Amazon Prime box, and actually now I'm on her Amazon Prime and I'm buying all kinds of crap too. <laughs> it's very addictive. <laughs> it, it was more about, okay, just let me know when you spend like 3000 or a thousand, like ours is a thousand. So and then do I need to do like, we'll split some things or we'll do a cash app or, or, or things like that. Again, we have a discussion and we have an understanding. So we don't have to fight about all the nuances in between. And then honestly, if it's under a thousand dollars, I honestly don't care. So we don't even have to have discussion. So again, it's a communication and understanding. And you already have, obviously you've had that communication and conversation ahead of time. You've established, mm-hmm. you essentially, what I'm hearing is you've established the limits in terms of spending what you would want to have a conversation on. And it sounds like in terms of roles, because it sounds like with the roles and managing the money, you're just individually taking care of the money that you make. And you've had yeah. at the beginning, you were like, well, I, I had this plan and you said uh, I had this movie and she wasn't really, she had her own movie and script <laughs> is how you reference it. So it sounds like as well that you're in terms of roles and managing the money, you just have your own, you're the CEO of your money and she's the CEO of her money. But in terms of maybe goals, maybe you have some goals that are separate and some that are mutual or would you say that? Yeah, that's accurate. So we split like half the bills. We don't like just go down. So for example, I lived without cable for like five years. And so she she has a cable package, like things that she's vested and interested in. It's true. We just had to understand it's like, okay, well, you can, you can pay for it. Like, it, We're not in a position, and this is fortunate, but neither of us are in a position where it would hurt for us to have to pay for the things we want. Mm. And that's actually like my new encouragement now is for folks I felt like a lot of the personal finances around like just making it like Mm. enough for your needs. And I was like, I actually think most people want enough money for what they want. Like they want to be walking through the mall and like, I want that. Not like, all right, well, you know, does this come from my 20% fund or my account over here? It's just like, I want that. I want to be able to buy it now. That is also fine. And you don't need to feel guilty about that. What is your plan for affording that thing rather than just running up the credit cards? And the other piece I would say is for folks who, and likely looking at the statistics, have never had this conversation, I would focus on what you agree on first. Mm. So that is one thing that we did positively. And I'm not going to say that this was easy. This was like a three to six month process because I was like, there was hurt, there was emotions. And, you know, she's coming from her experience. You know, she'd been managing her own money for 10 years and I've been, been managing the household monies for my last 10 years. So, you know, we had to come to a place of peace. I'm not going to say like it was Tuesday and Wednesday, we were good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think focus on what you agree on first. And then I really would strongly encourage people, especially as a couple, is one thing a, another married guy told me is, you know, we try to focus on us versus the problem versus us versus each other, which I think a lot of people fall mm-hmm. into the us versus each other versus the problem. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, that's also fine, too. I think people are like, well, 
every time we talk about money, it's a fight and we fail. And I think it's more so recognize that. And then what's the resolution to that? And tends to be, you know, an objective third party. Maybe the resolution is, okay, maybe y'all can't talk about money. That's not a, a means of failure. But you can also put your head in the dirt and sit around for 40 years. And then neither one of you have a retirement fund or emergency fund or life insurance. You might need to bring in objective third parties. And maybe that's what you agree on. Okay, we agree that we can't talk about money. Let's agree on who we will talk about money to that will help us manage our money. And there's a lot of all the way down to free and then reasonable resources to just make sure that you're in a good place. And that's the problem. If you're not in a good place, focus on the problem. Come to a resolution on how do you get to a good place. I love that. Well, Marcus, this has been absolutely fantastic. I could ask you more questions, <laughs> but of course, this conversation has to come to a stop for this episode. But I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared and your story as well and just being so transparent. I know there's definitely a lot of good nuggets there. So thank you so much for joining us today. Wasn't that conversation with Marcus fantastic? I hope that you enjoyed the conversation and you caught on to his sense of humor because he definitely has a great sense of humor. And I encourage you to check out more information on him at his website, themarcusgarrett.com, which is also in today's show notes, as well as his podcast. You are listening to this podcast. Go check out his, which is called The Marcus Garrett Show. And that also can be found on his website. All of that will be linked up to today's episode. If you are on your debt payoff journey, I invite you also to grab my free daily Dinetto ritual, which will help you stay encouraged in action and increase your confidence along the way. You can grab that over at jenhemphill.com forward slash ritual. And that as well is also going to be linked up in today's show notes. Next week, it will be just you and me for a special solo episode. So be sure to stay tuned for that one. That is it. Eso es todo. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 272 to refer back to everything you need from the show. And remember, we've got timestamps now. So if there's a particular part that you want to re-listen to, go check out the show notes, press that timestamp. It'll take you to that specific part of the show. Remember, being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. That's it. I believe in you and so should you. If you love this podcast, love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about. You never know what exactly that person is going through and the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. Bueno pues, that is everything. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.